Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Our scripture today first comes from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. From 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade. And, and just because we don't uh, know really what to say for the personal name, a lot of people will hear, will say Adonai, or the Lord. A lot of people will say Hashem, or the name. Uh, a lot of people will say Elohim, or our God. Uh, and some people will say Yahweh, or Yah. And so... Our relationship with our God is a personal one, so you do what you want to do. But uh, for today, we're going to say Adonai. So let's do this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Baruch Shem Chavod. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha, Bechol Lavavcha, Avechol Meoshecha, Avechol Meodecha. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Ve'ahavta Larecha Kamocha. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.
We do. Allison's coming back. Uh, we have a, little, a substitute this morning for Elevate, but Elevate Kids, which is first and second grade. All right. Uh, we are continuing on this morning uh, in our uh, look through Leviticus 23 and the feasts and festivals that God commanded the, the, his people to celebrate, um, which have their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, uh, which this morning's is actually beautiful. Um, and we're going to continue doing this through the summer, going through Leviticus 23, these uh, holy convocations that God uh, ascribed to his people to both remember what he had done, to practice their belief and faith and trust. All of these uh, feasts and festivals have meaning behind them, but God gives the warning throughout uh, the Hebrew scriptures of don't follow the rules of these, Hebrew, of these feasts and festivals and think that that's the goal. The goal is not for you to simply follow the rules and do these well. The goal is for you to know me and trust me. Um, and so we've gone through Shabbat uh, and the weekly practice of Sabbath to rest. Uh, and then um, last week we looked at the Passover. Uh, this week we are looking at, it's kind of an interesting uh, one called the Feast of First Fruits. So uh, I am... I'm glad you're here. Just so you know, like my brain's a little foggy. My son and I drove, my I drove, my son rode for 2,500 miles this last week uh, in in quite a bit of drive time, and we got back yesterday. So uh, hopefully the fog clears and and we'll be all good this morning. Um, <clears throat> my senior year of college, I had a, a professor that I loved. He was younger. He laughed at my jokes. Um, that's very important to me. Uh, and and we talked outside of class. He was he was a cool guy, and, and we had a and he was great. And he was in my major speech communication, um, and uh, so my senior year, one of the classes that I had with him uh, was I, I had built up a certain knowledge, and we got to the final, and um, uh, and I knew enough, so I studied and prepared, but I didn't. I didn't like study and prepare like incredibly thoroughly. Uh, I, I gave it what I thought was enough. Uh, and um, I basically, I could have missed like 20 questions out of 50 and still had a, a B. A B for me was good, all right? Lest you judge. Um, and, uh, and I was happy with that. I had a solid B and I could practically fail this test and, and it would be okay. Uh, I would love to say so I spent time studying other things, but I was a senior. I spent time doing other things. Um, and, and so I walked into the final, uh, and again, knowing enough, uh, I felt. His, question, his tests were always multiple choice. Now, I don't know if you've done multiple choice tests, but there's, there's good and bad potential in a multiple choice test. One, a potential good is that you can see an answer that kind of jogs your mind a little bit, right? And kind of helps you out and you go, okay, yeah, 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 that's right. If, if you know enough, right? You can see something and then you can always guess C, right? Like if, if, if worse comes to worse, you always got a shot. Um, the other part that can be negative of a multiple choice quest, uh, test is you can know enough but not know the intricate details and your professor gives a test with intricate details that you need to know specifics. Is this one right or is this one right? Or is it A and B? Or is it none of the above? Or is there a technicality? Is he trying to trick you? Uh, I started taking the final and I realized very quickly I did not know enough. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you, and, then, and then it just starts to build up, right? And you get frustrated and you get overwhelmed and anxiety checks in, and before too long, you're just like, I just need to get through this test and get out. I hope, uh, hopefully I can't bomb it bad enough to like fail out of college uh, on my last semester, so we'll see. Uh, and so I got overwhelmed, I filled out the rest of the test fairly quickly, and then, and then um, went and dropped it on, the, on his desk in a little bit of a huff. And he could tell, and he's like, well, how do you think you did? And I gave, I was like, uh, not good. 
and it was like the posture of, um, it, it was kind of between like, I don't care, you're not going to get to me, uh, versus um, why did, you know, this is your fault. But internally, I was like, like ready to lose it. And so I just had that. Have you ever done that posture with, where you're like, I didn't do good, and I don't care. And then internally, you're like, <sighs> so he graded the test, and I missed 21. He just, he pulled, he's like, let me grade it real quick. I'm sure you did fine. And he pulls out the answer sheet, and, he, and I missed 21. And he looked up to me, at me, and he, as if I had done it on purpose. And he looks, and he's like, why did you do this? And um, I kind of shrugged my so- shoulders, uh, again, feeling completely dejected. Uh, and he must have given a little bit of grace and a slight curve because I did end up my report card. You get report cards in college? What do you get? My grades came back, uh, and I wound up with a B. Um, so I was grateful for that. We are called, as followers of Jesus, we are called to give our best. We are called to give our best. God's demand is holiness. It is uh, perfection. And um, we are called to give our best. And sometimes uh, things can get frustrating. Sometimes things don't go the way that you think they should. Sometimes we give what we feel like is good enough, and that should be fine. Um, Sometimes we just don't care and get angry at all of life. Sometimes things are just out of our control. Uh, And so, though we are called to give our best, at all times, we are in desperate need of grace and mercy. Uh, And to forget that, to forget our desperate need of grace, is really to forget the very nature whether we forget it for ourselves or for others, to forget that is really to forget the very nature of what it means to know and trust and follow Jesus. So with that, this morning we're going to look at, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's a rather marginal feast, uh, but I think in the New Testament it explodes and becomes really potentially like one of our high holy days uh, And um, it might be one of the more important uh, feasts that remembrances in the New Testament. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, And this morning we're going to break down the sermon into three realms. Basically, that God demands our best, that God gives his best, and then life in response. Okay? Everybody good with that? Awesome. Calm down. Um, first, kind of a look at every ancient religion. In, in, in nearly every ancient religion, one of the major gods or goddesses in, in nearly every ancient religion would be the god or the goddess of fertility. And that was not just for families. That was not just for procreation. That was for crops, for livestock. The god of fertility was uh, always in the high ranks of the gods, because uh, if fertility was good, everything else was good. And don't think that I don't know the irony of uh, preaching on this for this day in particular, something I will try to address a little bit toward the end of the sermon. The gods of fertility were critical. And uh, not, not only that, but another element to keep in mind was that people in this day operated as a people. We are a highly individualistic culture, and that was not the way they did or could function. If crops were good, they were good for the people. If livestock were good, they were good for the people, for the household. If they were bad, they were bad for the whole nation, for the whole people gathered. And so... um, 
uh, if it was good, then it was good for everyone. If it was bad, then it might put your people, your nation, your group, your household, whatever the function was, it might put you in a desperate need to have to rely on other kings or other kingdoms. And that was not always a good place to be. Um, so if you remember the story of the Exodus and how uh, the story predating the Exodus, uh, when Joseph comes into Egypt, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh that there's going to be three years of abundance and then, th and th and then the, the famine. And so Pharaoh is able to prepare. And Egypt becomes a powerhouse nation because they were prepared for the famine and the rest of the nations have to come to them. That's what made Egypt a powerhouse. That's what made them the most powerful nation there. So the fertility, the success of crops, these were huge. And then sacrifices to the gods so that you would have an abundance of crops or an abundance uh, of, uh, so you would have more laborers uh, in the field uh, and that your livestock would, would reproduce. This was all critical. Um, the beginning of the harvest was a critical time. The results of the harvest were critical. And the feasts and festivals and sacrifices for a good harvest were very important across the board in every nation, whether they believed in the God of, of, uh, of Israel or not. These were critical. Does that make sense? Okay. The God of Israel was no different and yet very different. And yet very different. God commands a sacrifice at the beginning of the harvest for his people with the first grains, the first fruits. Now, the first grains to mature, they were planted usually, I think, like February time frame, maybe March in, in, our, uh, in our world, um, and they were the grains of barley. And essentially, every family was to bring the first of their produce, the first harvest to come out of the field to bring a sheaf of barley to the priest. And the priest would wave it before God. And if it was acceptable, um, it would be specially cut, and the barley would be gathered into an omer, which is a half gallon of barley. And honestly, I'm not sure, what, is, what happens if it's not acceptable? All right, we don't know. It's bad. Uh, if it was acceptable, they would cut it up into an omer, a half gallon. Uh, a omer basically means half gallon. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so it was gathered into that. And the celebration is immediately tied into the next celebration, which is the, also a feast of first fruits, also called Pentecost. It was the celebration of the new grain, which was, uh, which was wheat, and that would be 50 days later. But it's also tied to the Passover. You celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. You count 50 days, which is Pentecost, which also celebrates the giving of the Torah, the law, where God brought uh, Israel through the wilderness. The Torah is where he reveals himself. We'll talk more about this next week. Uh, or sorry, Pentecost. He reveals himself, supposed to be to everyone. The whole nation of Israel was supposed to be on Mount Sinai, but 99.9% .9 of them freaked out and just sent Moses. So Moses is revealed, the law uh, that God gives, and then there's a celebration of the Torah in 50 days of God entering the covenant with uh, Israel. Everybody straight on that? Are you with me? It's a little confusing. Uh, and yet so intricately tied to the way, God, the, the way that God led them uh, to events in history and to really living out and remembering and practicing not only God's provision, but God's faithfulness, the time in between, God's giving of the law. It's, there's so many things here. But one of the first things that we see right off the bat is God demands that they bring their first fruits, that they bring their best. And the correlations and the lessons here are many. Um, let, me, let me give, I always feel like I have to explain what this isn't because we fill in a lot of blanks in our day. So to bring our best before God, this is not, I, I don't believe, um, this is not 
a matter of like God helps those who help themselves. Okay? This is not where that can't, this, this is not what that is. Um, God's desire is for his people to trust him, to trust him to provide, to trust him for the harvest. So you can bring your first and your best because I am trustworthy. Um, so what does it mean? What does it mean that we bring our best before God? I, I promise you, when we hear that phrase, I don't know that a lot of us are thinking maybe appropriately. I, I don't, when I hear that. I'm like, all right, that means we do our best, we try our best. And then we just, we, we, we leave God with the rest. And, and I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I can tell some things that I don't think it is. Um, I don't believe this is do great things for God. I don't want to get into all the ruts of that. Uh, but I think history could show us a lot of people tried to do great things for God. And uh, the human heart has a weird thing about it in that doing three great things for God oftentimes winds up being more about doing great things for me, whether God ever commissioned it or not. God does great things. He doesn't need us to do great things for him. So they don't have land. You cannot harvest anything without land. So there's a, there's a promise in this. When you get land that I will give you, bring your first fruits. And so here again, what does it mean to get our first fruits? Is it, is it the tithe? Is it our giving? And, and I've heard this used, and, and eventually, just so you know, eventually when they did give of the first fruits, uh, that was taken and divided up and split among the, leave, um, among the priests. Um, I'm not, we'll, we're going to set that over here. I think bring, bringing our tithe certainly can, can fall into that. Uh, we most certainly in our day, we put our money where our heart is, right? We spend our money on things that we love. Um, and I don't know that this is necessarily about like a giving statement. Uh, I think more of it is about a heart and posture of generosity. But, but to say it doesn't fall in there, I mean, how many times do we get uncomfortable when people start talking about money? How many pictures have you posted about the gas prices? Don't tell me we don't care about money. We do. So certainly bringing our first fruits has something that's, that's in there. That's, that is the harvest. That is their, their product. Um, the fact that God is desiring our trust, I think it also has something to do with maybe our honesty before God. Not like in our day, it's, well, I need to be my authentic self. I, I don't know that it's we need to be our authentic self and do what we really want um, because that, that's not it, that. That's not bringing our best. That's like God going, hey, you know what? You do you. And that's never a theme throughout Scripture. But I do think it is confessing our authentic selves. I don't think it's bringing our resume before God. Right? Jesus has pretty harsh words in Matthew 7 with a guy that brings his resume. God, look at Jesus, look, what all I, look at what I did in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I, uh, I healed in your name. Um, and Jesus says, I don't even know you. I don't think it's bringing our resume before God. I do think it's a deep confession to trust God with our insecurities and our fears, and then flowing out of that to begin trusting each other with our insecurities and our fears and our sin. Um, th there's a hard press on psychology of stuff, so I'm not saying that this is a self-obsession, but certainly a self-awareness. Self-awareness is the root of what it means to be to a, a life of repentance, to be aware of things that tend to control us. Um, 
I'd mentioned earlier, my son and I, we just got back from this drive, and we drove all around the East Coast. And uh, <laughs> there's stories for future time. I'm not going to get into it. But, um, and, and we got back uh, last night. And on the road, uh, we listened to an incredible book. And I will commend it to, to all of you. Uh, Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nairi. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, essentially, uh, he is an Iranian refugee, and he is recalling his life growing up with his mother and sister in Edmond, Oklahoma. And, um, and I will tell you, you will laugh, you will weep, you will cringe, and you will never, ever, ever put a chickpea in your nose. I can promise you that. Uh, listen to it, and you're going to be like, you're right. I will never put a chickpea in my nose. Um, I st I'm still cringing. All right? But one of the things he talks about is our concept of God. He says, do we want a God who listens, or do we want a God who talks? A God who listens is warm and is comfortable, and we can bring our fears to him, and he will always take us in, and he will have no expectations. A God who talks is a God who gives direction and guidance and rules and divides between right and wrong and good and evil. How often, if, if we're honest, how often do we want a God who listens for me and a God who talks for thee? Maybe. Or, or if we're covered with shame, sometimes we may feel like a God who listens to everybody else but who is constantly disappointed and talks for me. What we see throughout Scripture, what we see revealed even in these, in these um, feasts and festivals is that we have a God who does both. He listens and he speaks. One of the greatest things about this feast is the timeline chronology. God demands their first fruits, but you know what he did right before that? It's what we celebrated last week. He rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery. The demand for their first fruits means that he is going to give them a promised land. This is not just God going, give me everything and all bets are off. This is a God who has made himself known as the deliverer. And then his requirement of first fruits is, I'm not, basically he's saying, I'm not the one that needs to practice being faithful. You need to practice trusting me. So bring your first fruits before me. Isn't that, I mean, the chronology here is critical. And we forget this. We'll look at this and go, ah, God wants my money? God has delivered us, and money is no longer your hope. It relegates it to its proper position. God doesn't say, just give me the offerings or else. He says, I have freed you. I have delivered you. Trust me. Trust me with your first fruits. In fact, trust me with the first fruits of the land that I am promising to even put you in before you even have first fruits, lest you forget that all of this is from me. And then comes the count in uh, Leviticus 23, verse 15. He says this, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought out the sheaf of the wave, wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So basically, once the offering of the Omer, once the offering is accepted, the grain offering, uh, then you have uh, the Omer of barley, which you begin to count. Uh, now, um, you may or may not uh, realize that they did not have Google Calendar back then, so they needed to find other ways to count the days and seasons and to know what day it was, and this was a creative way for God to have their grain offering and then count the barley, count the omer, and take out a barley for every day and count seven full Sabbaths, seven full weeks, which is seven. So seven times seven is, class, 
49. Great, and I know you didn't count on doing math this morning, but then you add one, and on the 50th day is the celebration. And seven is a huge number in Scripture. Uh, it is the number of Sabbath. It is the number of peace. It is the number of eternity. So count seven times seven, and then on the 50th day, celebrate the relationship that God enters into with his people in the giving of the Torah. For the Jewish people, the reading of the Torah is sacred. It is read every year. It is the rhythm that these feasts go on. And they read the Torah. And then when they're done, I, I brought this up a couple weeks ago. When they're done reading the Torah, you know what they do next? They start over and they read the Torah again. In fact, it is a big celebration that we'll get to in a few weeks. Um, rabbis would offer various commentary on the laws revealed in the Torah and how this should shape the Jewish people in their lives, their responses. You'll be happy to know that there is no universal, like one uh, agreed upon um, thing. So if we look and we go, oh, the Jewish people, they all agree on these things. No, they don't. They're just like us. Where two or three are gathered, there are 10 different opinions. And uh, they, wouldn't, uh, they would make great Baptists. Um, and so they offer different commentary uh, on how the law should affect the way you see the world, the way you operate in your personal holiness, the way we operate communally, what values we have, how we operate toward the world around us. Um, and this is all this continual reminder, all based in the Torah. So that it, it is a very big deal, a relationship with the God who has not only given the Torah, but has entered into a covenant with his people. So they would count the omer, which is the half gallon of barley, and this is a reminder of God's finished work. The anticipation that God did not leave his people in the wilderness, but actually came to them, entered a covenant with them, and to be patient and trust and allow the Lord to work. That God both listens and speaks. So what is it for the follower of Jesus? What does it mean for us? 1 uh, Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. And this is, 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection, the de defense of uh, the resurrection. And this is what he says. He says, but in fact, if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection. Here's the great news for the follower of Jesus, especially as it pertains to to this particular feast and also the hope of our salvation. You ready? Christ is our perfect offering. He is our acceptable sacrifice before God. Jesus fulfills in every possible way. Last year we walked through 1 John. Was that last year? At some point in time we walked through 1 John as a church. And we looked at this dual nature of Jesus, that he is both God and man. And as man, he entered our place. He entered the place of Israel, and, and where they were supposed to be faithful and were not, Jesus was. And he obeyed the law. And not only like the fine letters of the law, but the intent of the law, which was to trust the Father and delight in him always. And Jesus obeyed it perfectly. And so he not only did that on our behalf, but also as fully God, Jesus could advocate before God's throne as our great high, high, high priest. Fully human and yet able to stand in the presence of a holy God where he is now seated on the throne, continuing to advocate on behalf of his bride. So theologically, this is beautiful. Jesus is our first fruit offering. But also chronologically, the way God sets this up and carries this out is also powerful. The lambs to be sacrificed on the Passover were to be brought in and sacrificed. They were brought in on the 10th of Nisan, the month of Nisan, and they were to be sacrificed on the 14th of Nisan. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan. And then the offering of the first fruits was to come the day after the Sabbath, on the 17th of Nisan. That was to be the celebration of the first fruit offering, which happens to correspond with the day that Jesus rose from the grave. The first fruit of what will one day be the full harvest. 
So this feast, when God lays it out in Leviticus, it's like, but hang on. It's cool, but like, I'm going to blow this out of the water. We would celebrate this day as Easter. Jesus fulfills not only theologically, but symbolically. This feast exploded with meaning. He is our first fruits, our first fruit offering. To trust in Jesus is to put our hope that we are accepted by God, not because our offering is acceptable, but because Christ's is. So does that mean the law becomes obsolete? Does it mean we just like throw it away and don't even, we, we just do away with the Old Testament and never read it again? By no means. It means it's fulfilled. And that it no longer is weighted against us. It's not how we live in order to gain God's acceptance, but in Christ, it's how we live because we have been accepted. Christ gives the summarization of the whole commands, all the law and the prophets, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which is the heartbeat of the law in the first place. We read it in the Shema. And by what power do we carry out this impossible task? By the power of the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost. The law, 50 days from then, that is written on our hearts. Um, so, our offerings and, and sacrifices are not acceptable by our best, but by his best. And in the resurrection, we are called and commissioned and freed to live out this in-between time, this counting of the omer uh, in full expectation that this is not it and that there is a greater kingdom to come. So that's first fruits fulfilled. Now, what does life in response to this look like? What does life in response to our offering has been made acceptable before God? What does life in the in-between look like? Um, or maybe we ask the question, what does life look like? What does life in the resurrection look like? And it would be awesome, it would be awesome if God gave us this list of do's and don'ts, <laughs> right? Which is what we try to do often, the moralisms. It'd be great if God just said, all right, do these things and don't do these things. But the summarization of all of it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? How do we do that? It's a great question. Um... It's probably not as black and white as we would like to think. Um, I don't think it means that it, this like triumphalistic thing where we're just like totally removed from the problems of this world and you can't touch me, too blessed to be stressed type thing. Um, it's really hard to love neighbors from aloof places. And certainly the life of Jesus doesn't, doesn't give us that of what a, a full fullness of life looks like. Um, so I don't think we're removed from the trials of this world. We are in the life in between. And I think our imaginations have been stunted by a lot of things. I think our imaginations have been stunted by consumerism, for sure. Potentially even, dare I say it, capitalism. But for consumerism, and I'm not advocating for something else. Well, I am. I'm advocating for following Jesus. Uh, so I am. Um, but I think our imaginations have been stunted by consumerism, right? The promise of the good life. Remember we talked about how if you look at commercials, they are a promise of what Sabbath gives a lot of times. Uh, to quote the great theologian Tyler Durden, uh, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working lots of jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. Bless you. Is that a sneeze? All right. Uh, I think our imaginations have been stunted by political tribalism. 
that pits our rights and privileges against others and thrives on the tyranny of the oar rather than the genius of the end. And here's the deal. If we care about human flourishing, if we care about uh, the whole, then at some level we have to say that politics is important. True and right laws and justice are important. Um, but we also have to understand regularly that neither our hope nor our despair can be legislated. It's a big week this week. Lots of complexities that went into Supreme Court's decision this week. Uh, and I will be, I'll be honest with you, I would love uh, to have just a few weeks in a row without the, if your church doesn't preach on whatever the topic of today is, uh, then you need to find a new church. That'd be awesome. And yet, I do feel a burden as the shepherd of God's people to deal with issues that are important. And sadly, very polarizing. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts to discern and sort through. Uh, situations in life are always more complicated than we tend to give credence to. Um, but when it comes to the genius of the and, church, you need to know that we can, in fact, care for the unborn and care for women. We have been talked into the tyranny of the oar, and that is not true. The church, the, our, our mission doesn't change uh, regardless of the legalities of things. These are not mutually exclusive, and please don't buy into stuff thrown out at Christians. I'm all church has done very good job. The rhetoric has not been great from the leadership, but the church has done a great job of caring for the unborn and caring for women. There's, gonna, there's opportunities to continue to do that. Um, but I think our imaginations have been stunted. Can we imagine a culture where comfort and care and support are so present and all of human life is so valuable that abortion would never even be considered as a viable option regardless of its legality. Whether it's shame, whether it's finances. Where women were valued so deeply that these fears would almost be immediately swept away and truth would be spoken. You are loved and you are valued. Where foster care had ample supply of healthy and safe homes where children could live and dwell and be cared for. And where the rhetoric of politicians playing to fears on the left or the right would have to come up with new tactics because we stop buying their nonsense. Where we look toward human flourishing for the poor and the vulnerable, where they are not just pawns to play on our pride, where we can take stands on certain sides in a political back and forth. Realizing that all of us need to value both personal responsibility and immense grace and charity. where things are not about my personal rights and my happiness, but about the whole, about our common good, even and especially for followers of Jesus, where it might mean forfeiting some of our personal freedoms or profit. Can you imagine such a reality? That's hard. There's a lot of noise right now. Uh, there's a lot of noise. And there always has been. Um, again, 
I would love to go a few weeks without hearing, if your church doesn't talk about this, then blah, 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 blah. And then tell me how we need to talk about it. Um, we are in a culture that's being discipled by Fox News and TikTok. Like, that's our hope. Depending on generation. And we need to sit in the presence of God. The God who listens and the God who speaks. The God who hears cries for mercy and the God who has commanded I am trustworthy. Trust me. The God who demands our best because he is holy and yet gave his best on our behalf because he is full of grace and mercy. How do we navigate this in a world that is just bent on tearing each other apart? Uh, Humbly? (laughs) Nuanced is a dirty word and it's a necessary word. to be confident and yet filled with grace and mercy and humble. So here's what I want to do, just for a second. I was counting on getting through all that a lot faster. I want to turn off the noise just for a second. I want to, um, here's one thing I want you to do. God gave us breathing, right? So unless you look at me and go, ah, this is some kind of mystical psychobabble. God designed our bodies, and God designed our bodies to work in such a way where deep breaths actually can like re-center us. Oxygen is good for you. I don't know if you know that. I, I wasn't a biology major, obviously. I didn't even do that good at speech communication. But I do know that oxygen is necessary to live. So here's what I want you to do, just real quick. I want you to take a, a this, we're, gonna, this is, we're gonna learn this from Karate Kid, right? In through nose, out through mouth. I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose, And then I want you to let it out slowly. God is here. He dwells with his people. He listens and he speaks. He cares deeply about the concerns of the world. He knows our hurts and fears. He knows our joys and victories. He knows our insecurities. And even still, he became the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So let's do that one more time. Take a deep breath in through your nose. this over you. In fact, Christ has been raised. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. To follow Jesus means we serve a kingdom that will never fail. This is good news. The assignment for this week, or the assignment for the first fruits. And you can do this. uh, These are things that'd be great to put on our calendar and do them next year as we go through this rhythm, if you'd like. 
but I believe on the app. We got those on the app, right? There are daily readings with a way to open uh, the reading and a way to conclude the reading. And if you want to do just a couple of those this week, the Psalms of delighting in the law of the Lord, of remembering the law of the Lord, of trusting the law of the Lord, of finding hope in the law of the Lord. There's just a few Psalms, and uh, we've got a list. There's 50 of them uh, on the app to read through. Uh, and then there's a, there is a liturgy of, of reading through and somebody opening it and then, somebody, and then responding uh, in a reading. And that's, uh, that's going to be on the app. Um, and just uh, maybe this week especially um, to take a break from news outlets, from, I'm not saying remain aloof from the world. We have to be here. Uh, but maybe take a break from offering our hot takes, <laughs> mostly talking to me, uh, and just to sit, take some time this week to sit in the presence of the Lord, to remind ourselves our offering has been made and is accepted. We long for the day that it will be made whole. Um, and just sit in the presence of the Lord. And if you need to email me about something, if I didn't do this enough or did this the wrong way or you're angry at how I handled this or you should have said this or why aren't we doing this, God bless you. If you want to email me, that's cool. If you want to grab coffee, that's fine. Um, sit, let's sit in the presence of the Lord. Cool with that? All right. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, that our offering has been made acceptable. That the resurrection is the first fruits of what will one day fully be. And so we operate in this world um, even when we have our fears and anxieties, our hope is, is beyond all of that. Our hope even is beyond death itself. So I pray this week especially you would remind us of that. Remind me of that. May we sit and dwell in your presence. May we experience the goodness and hope that is ours in the resurrection. Um, may this not cause us to care less in any way, but to care more deeply and more holistically and more broadly. To love, dare I say, even those who are against us and maybe even those that we are against. Just like you did. Have mercy on us. Remind us of our deep need for you. And remind us of our calling to bring all of what we are and have before you with the promise that you have and will provide. And help us to understand this is not easy. That's why we need Jesus. So we ask all this in his name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.